Is it time to get charged up? Visit downtown Kia EV Discovery Center, Lower Mainland's newest Kia dealer, the electric vehicle experts. Learn all about their amazing lineup of electric vehicles and discover excellence. Call downtown Kia today to arrange a test drive and they'll bring the test drive to you. Downtown Kia is located at the corner of West 8th and Burrard Street in Vancouver. Check them out online at downtownkia.com or call 604-336-9050. Welcome to the latest episode of Plugged In, a post-media podcast taking you down Canada's electric vehicle highway. I'm your host, Andrew McCready. We're breaking some new ground on the podcast today as I have two guests, both with the District of North Vancouver, a municipality that has fully embraced electric vehicle technology with a fleet of 21 EVs. The district was a very early EV adopter with the installation of a public charging station at the district hall a full 10 years ago. That's 2010. In 2014, the district made its first EV purchase, a Mitsubishi iMiev. We're talking to District Energy Manager Monica Samuda and District Fleet and Solid Waste Manager Michael Toland about the municipality's rationale behind the substantial investment in EV vehicles and related charging infrastructure. And we'll find out about lessons learned in operating an electric vehicle fleet. But first, and as promised in the last episode, an overview of the current rebate and incentive programs available to Canadians when it comes to installing a home charging station. Let's start with Quebec, which since 2012 has offered a $600 rebate for the purchase and installation of a Level 2 or 240-volt home charging station. Conditions to receiving the rebate include the charger must be installed by a licensed electrician, the charger must be new and for domestic use only, the charger must be fed by a 240-volt circuit, and the applicant must be the owner of a new or used all-electric or plug-in hybrid vehicle, a slow-speed electric vehicle, or an electric motorcycle. Ontario had a similar home charge rebate program in 2018, but it was cancelled by the Doug Ford government along with the EV purchase incentive program that year. In British Columbia, there are two rebate programs that when combined provide $700 in money back for the purchase and installation of a home charger. The first is through Clean BC, which offers $350 for a level 2 charger in a single family home. This also applies to townhouses and duplexes with private garages. Then there are $350 rebates available through electricity providers BC Hydro and Fortis BC. In addition to these two provinces providing home charging station rebates, eight municipalities in Quebec offer incentive programs ranging from $100 to $500. These include Sherbrooke, Granby, Prevost, Joliet, Dorval, Epiphany, Marieville, and East Angus. And in BC, the regional district of Nanaimo offers a $250 incentive for the purchase and installation of a Level 2 home charger. One last thing before we get to our guests, and still on the subject of charging stations. Electrify Canada has announced a new charging agreement with Volkswagen Canada that provides 2020 VW e-Golf drivers with two years of complimentary 30-minute charging sessions. Customers can enroll in and manage their charging plan through the Electrify Canada mobile app, and redeem their charges at any charging station along the Electrify Canada network. I reached out to my good friend Thomas Tetzlaff with VW Canada, and he said the company is hoping to bring in about 1,500 2020 e-golfs to Canadian dealers this year. That's great news as the sporty EV has suffered from low inventory across the country the past few years. All right, 
Time to talk EV fleets. Monica Samuda is the District of North Vancouver's energy manager and with 25 years of energy conservation experience is a specialist in municipal energy management. Prior to joining the District of North Vancouver, she served as energy manager for the City of Winnipeg and the City of Vancouver. Michael Toland is the district's fleet and solid waste manager and has over 40 years of fleet operations experience. Welcome to you both. Thank you. So before we start, uh, just uh, in the in the uh, in the name of full disclosure, um, I want to say that I've been a resident of the District of North Vancouver for nearly 30 years, and uh, I'm delighted when I see your Nissan Leafs zipping around my neighborhood. So that's out of the way. A question I ask all my de- guests, Monica, and I'll ask it of you after this, Michael, is uh, what was the first EV you ever drove? I was lucky enough to drive one of the original Mitsubishis that was brought in to the city of Vancouver for the Olympics. So that I worked with the sustainability group at that time. So right. they took us each through the driving process. It was a, um, it was a, the European version or I guess the Japanese model that got brought in. Right. Um, and I was thrilled and t- horrified to be going 80 kilometers an hour between Broadway and the foot of the Canby Bridge without realizing. Yeah. It was transformative. It was an amazing right. chance. And as as somebody involved in the kind of um, um, environmental energy, it was obviously a bit of a light bulb too. Probably thinking this is this could be the future. The fact that they went fast, yes, it was actually part <laughs> of what made me realize that they could happen. If they were a sub, if they were not what people expected out of a vehicle, the fact right. that they were more meant I knew it would all work out um, yeah. with time. It's taken longer than I thought, but it's certainly coming. Right. How about you, Michael? First EV. Very similar to Monica. The first EV I drove was exactly the same when I used to work for the city of Vancouver. Okay. And um, just unusual thing for me is you're so used to things having engines and transmissions and you get into this thing and drive it and there's no noise whatsoever. Yeah. Very, very quiet. Yeah. And as Monica's uh, mentioned, very fast, very quickly. Yeah. And, And in your mind, you thought this is maybe not the future, but a part of the future. A part of the, definitely a part of the future, and you could see that they were going to take off very quickly. Right, right. Okay, so um, as I said in the, the the beginning of the show, um, the the district of North Vancouver has kind of been, in my mind anyway, kind of at the forefront of of bringing electric vehicles into your fleet. And and what I'd like to know, um, whoever wants to answer this question, is is why did the district decide to um, to invest to this degree um, with twenty one vehicles? The reason this is so exciting for me is the energy manager, who often is off in my cubicle trying to come up with ways for the district to change our energy use profile, our greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, Michael told us he would like to do these cars from a fleet operation standpoint. So okay. it's actually a revo- it was a revolution for me and something I get to brag about when I go and talk to my colleagues that I, it's not something I've had to push or, or convince anyone of. Um, if anything, um, I was more than happy to help uh, make sure they got integrated. Okay, so over to you, Michael. Um, what what was your thinking behind it? So I would say it was the uh, right thing to do. Our vehicles very rarely leave the confines of the District of North Vancouver, um, and the uh, energy to drive these electric vehicles is clean. It's 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 provided by hydroelectricity. Yes. So it's not like sometimes in Europe you have a very dirty power station that provides this. Right. So to me, it was just a completely right thing to do. Um, a fleet that does a, a relatively small uh, number of uh, kilometres each day within a set area and um, these vehicles are going to be clean and that's what the district and uh, generally the people that live in the district want to see and do. What's the, what's the current, by model, what's the breakdown of the 21 vehicles in the fleet? 
So the breakdown of the 21 models uh, are that we have one uh, uh, Mitsubishi um, uh, iMeve, which most people, I think, purchase around about the 2008 mark to try them out. And then all the other 20 are uh, Nissan Leaf um, uh, electric vehicles. And those are relatively new ones. That's second generation Leafs. It's second generation. It's, uh, yep, the one that looks very sporty compared to what I call the jelly mold. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So, yep, they're all the second generation Leaf and um, with a roughly uh, 250-ish uh, kilometer range. Is that IBF the one that you guys purchased, purchased in 2014? Would it be the same one? Uh, yes, sorry, t- uh, t- uh, 2014. 2014, yes. So, so, I mean, would you know how many kilometers are on that? Um, I actually didn't bring that with me, <laughs> That's quite unfortunately. All right. It's quite all right, but yeah. it's a testimony, you know, six years in that it's still running around for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. And previous to that, we did, um, we purchased around about 2003. We did buy hybrids. So the district has purchased right. before alternative fuels or look to try and use vehicles that, that don't burn fossil fuel. Yeah. Now, obviously that's from a, from a kind of, um, um, uh, sustainability standpoint, but is there a cost savings involved? I mean, obviously these vehicles aren't burning fuel. I mean, you're still using electricity, but it's, it's a, it's a much smaller percentage of what it costs to operate a vehicle. Is that part of the metric when you're making the argument to purchase these vehicles? So, um, yes, that's part of the metric. So the two uh, big savings in, in comparison to the traditional type of vehicles would, would have purchased are that um, the maintenance at the minute would seem to be around about the $600 a year mark in comparison to $2,500 for a fossil fuel vehicle, generally because we're not changing oils, we're not doing work to engines. Right. So uh, that's where the major saving comes from. And we've been running them almost a year now, but... A very quick look at it shows that um, generally would spend about $3,000 a year on fuel. And at the minute, it looks like the electricity is going to cost us around the $500 a year mark. So there's significant savings on, on those two fronts. Yeah. You mean yeah. 50 $50. F- yeah. It's $2,000. Oh, sorry. Yeah, we paid about $2,000 to charge most of the fleet vehicles out of the hall. Um, there are other vehicles that are parked out of um, Jerry Brewer at the RCMP building and right. the OC, but total for all of the vehicles parked at the hall, we're at $2,000 um, approximately for, for energy consumption, a little bit more for, for demand charge, but not significantly. So, yeah, so I think all of them maybe $3,000 for the year. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's pretty yeah. impressive. I can see why Michael would have thought five hundred sounds more reasonable, but no, <laughs> right. we're down around seventy-five or fifty or seventy-five dollars. Yeah. So, um, what are the what what capacity are the vehicles used? I mean, who's using these vehicles in the in the, on the district staff? So, um, the 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 used by uh, bylaws. Uh, so bylaws take and do the normal um, the normal patrols and things like that. Right. And then after that we have we do have three in fire, which are used for doing inspections and investigations. Right. And then the general uh, departments that would come out of most municipal halls: development, uh, engineering, inspections, traffic. So really, um, anyone that uh, works out of a municipal hall can take these and use them to get from A to B. Yeah. And carry out the general work they do. What's what's been the reaction from the staff? I mean, are people are people clamoring to get in these cars, or so they've been very, very well uh, received. Yeah, um, we did ensure that we trained everybody in how to uh, drive them and operate them and the features with them. Right, and I think that helped greatly because people were able to understand um, how the vehicles worked and what they did. Um, We've not had anybody come back and complain about the fact that they've been given an electric vehicle to do the job. Most people are really, really like them. They say they're fantastic, and we never thought they would be as good as this. 
And and how many charging stations are at the district? There, there's there's a whole every evening I, I go by and they're all lined up. And then during the day you go by and it's empty. So they're all out. So how many charging stations are there? It's 12 at the hall. Right. We have three at the operations center and um, another three at the Jerry Brewer at where bylaws is based. So right. It's four at Jerry uh, uh, Sorry, there's four. Sorry, I was going to say there's four at the operations center. Jerry Brewer is three. And then there's four at the fire service as well. Okay. They've got spread around and those are new. Mm-hmm. The 12 at District Hall um, were... A, a bit of a challenge. It required sort of a rework of the whole parking lot, but luckily we were paving at the same time. So um, a lot of how this whole fleet um, adoption worked out were, were um, great planning on Michael's part for knowing what assets were due and that being able to do a big bulk purchase was was an easier option for us and it helped us do a transformation all at once. Um, the IMEV was char- charging using the original public charging station, so that that wasn't ideal. Yeah. Um, but when it was decided that the fleet was going electric, it meant that as facilities we could be prepared and um, timed our asset work to match up. So we were doing um, new curbs and new and new um, uh, new paving so that we could cover up the the cut the trench that needed to be made for the power. So it all, that worked out very well. And those are level two chargers. That's right. Right. Which which works because. The, the, these vehicles aren't going out at night or anything. It's essentially a, a, I won't say nine to five, but it's daytime use and, and they sit overnight and they're fully charged in the morning. That's right. Right. Did you get a deal from Nissan Canada to buy a, uh, do they have such fleet sale deals or is that something that? So as a fleet user, uh, Nissan uh, Canada did support the local dealer and we did receive a um, approximately, I think it was $3,000 per vehicle discount. Nice. Um, and then we also, for 10 of the vehicles, received a $5,000 grant from uh, Clean uh, Clean BC or BC Clean Energy. And this was, I guess, was this before the federal grant was there, I wonder? It was before, before the federal that, grant right, was there, right. yeah. Yeah. So, so um, I learned earlier that you guys have about 200 vehicles in the district fleet, um, but these run the gamut of dump trucks and all kinds of things. So are, are, is there room to kind of integrate more EVs into that fleet or are they all so specialized that you, we're not really there yet to have an EV dump truck? So I would say at the minute uh, we're not there yet, uh, particularly in the district because we're relatively small compared to some other municip- uh, bigger municipalities like the city of Vancouver to bring something like that in. And right. Just the technology isn't there yet for us. Um, but there is a plan as a uh, the years go on that we will eventually see many more electric vehicles um, we believe that the um, pickup style vehicle the what you would normally call a Ford F-150 we do believe that within the next year or two they will be bringing out an electric version and we will um, pretty sure we'll move across to that as well yeah and that's, and that's half of our greenhouse gases mm-hmm. from fleet. So getting those uh, the small trucks and the light duty trucks and, and minivans um, converted will be critical to, to achieving our greenhouse gas reduction right. targets. So that is obviously, as energy manager, that's something that you look at. It is. Um, fleet, Michael and his team at the fleet have been doing a great job. And like I said, being being able to brag about this giant fleet uh, transformation and all electric bylaws uh, team. Um has been has been really straightforward but but yeah i mostly deal with buildings and um this is the part where buildings and fleet meet because suddenly um vehicle use is now my building's energy use uh so it's been an opportunity and i was we were just speaking with the team about 
how I have to pull the data from directly from the charging system because we've done other um, projects inside our buildings to reduce our energy use. So we don't actually see the vehicles as an increase of our usage because we're also doing conservation efforts inside the building. So um, for, for fleet folks or, or vehicle owners who are concerned about potentially a spike or, or being able to see that on their bills, um, you start thinking about all of your energy use together instead of your vehicle separate from your building. And you look for every opportunity to reduce your energy use in one place and potentially then transfer it to another, make capacity, right. uh, and, and essentially transfer the savings into your building. I know that other municipalities obviously have, have hybrids and some electrics. Are you guys kind of at the, in the forefront of this? Are you, you, you must go to conferences and things. Are you guys being tapped on shoulders, asked about why you did this or how it's working or... Yes, yes, I have been from the energy management group. Um, like I said, we generally have focused on buildings. Our greenhouse gas emissions are half buildings, half fleet. So there are two areas and fleet's always been sort of a more difficult um, um, group of assets to deal with. So when I get to direct people to Michael and say he he chose these vehicles as a better operational uh, choice for the district, um, the light bulbs go off and, and people get cheered because if um, if fleet folks understand this from an operational standpoint and not a just a sustainability move or shift to do something just because um, it means half the battle is won and now we just figure out how do we get the cars plugged into buildings yeah do you want to test drive the latest ev or hybrid all in one location then make sure you attend the vancouver international auto show march 25th through 29th at the vancouver convention center Celebrate the 100th anniversary of Western Canada's best-attended consumer show, experience the best in new vehicles and fantastic historic automotive displays, and sign up for the Clean BC Go Electric Test Drives, where you'll get the opportunity to take a drive around downtown in state-of-the-art, zero-emission vehicles and get all of your EV questions answered by experts. Sign up at the show. For complete details and show tickets, visit VancouverInternationalAutoShow.com. And as you say, Michael, the more the more this this te- this this electric vehicle technology rolls into different larger vehicles, the opportunities for you guys. I mean, one day to maybe have all your vehicles EVs. That that is a possibility. I think there'll always be some fossil fuel vehicles in particular because we live in an area that may have an earthquake, and it is possible to get a gallon of fossil fuel. It right. might not be pos- possible to get a gallon of electricity. So I think there'll always be. The odd vehicle or odd vehicles that will be traditional just to ensure people can do inspections and get round and do things. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, as you said from the beginning, Michael, the fact that, that your, your usage of these vehicles, you don't need $600, 600 kilometer range. I mean, you must not even use close to the range of these vehicles to begin with. No, um, generally each day the, the average is somewhere between 50 and 80 kilometers a day for our vehicles. Um, and that was the reason we went for the, the mid-range vehicle. We didn't need very extended range electric vehicles and we didn't really want to purchase the lesser range because we, we wanted to take away that anxiety from users. If they were looking at a, a gauge that was going towards the empty side, it's a funny thing with electric vehicles. People get very worried about how much fuel they have in the tank in essence. Right. So that's why we chose the mid-range and it's perfect because we can run for more than one day without having to actually plug the vehicles in also. Yeah, yeah. Or if somebody is it is the onus on the, 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 the driver of that vehicle for the day when he brings it or she brings it back to plug it in? 
Yeah. Supposed nobody, to be. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I guess at the in the as you say in the heyday or in the in the in the runabout of a day you could park it and forget, but you're still going to be okay the next day because you're not going to be anywhere near depleted the battery. Exactly. Then that's particularly why we wanted the mid-range ones. We didn't want to get into that um, thing of sometimes people might turn up and they mightn't be available to do the job and then they sort of get that bad name that they're not really the thing you want in your fleet when right. in reality a little bit of management makes them very suitable for the uses they're there for. Yeah. And and it, it, sorry, it, no, it does please. also allow for the expansion of the fleet without, mm -hmm. so from a facility standpoint, worrying about adding chargers. We have extra charging capacity. So it means it might be another level of management and some communication between groups. But if every car doesn't need to be plugged in every day, then we don't actually need a dedicated charger for every vehicle. So we can do some swapping and some shifts and, and make sure that, that every vehicle that needs it has access to it. Yeah. So you've got, essentially, you've probably got a, a charging infrastructure to almost double what you have now. At least. With, with management. With management, yeah. yeah. And because of the hilly territory, too, we actually get a half-decent amount of regeneration. So even even on our rated our rated um, range, because we're going downhill a significant portion of the time, we're actually never really getting to that either. So we can get back to the home base with nearly what we left with in, in a lot of cases. So yeah. I think as we refine our usage and people understand, um, we'll really be able to change how the vehicles charge Um because it's essentially a safety net. The first vehicles got each got a charger. Everybody could be plugged in and know that that was happening. But um, as they're being used more and more, them not being plugged in, not re people realizing how much range they have and yeah. what eighty percent or thirty percent can actually get you um, for for a day's work. Then I think we can start having conversations with folks about about when to when to park there and when potentially to park elsewhere. Yeah. Have any employees been so impressed by this that they bought their own EVs? We have several EV users, yeah, that have shifted over. We've also added to our public, that original public charging station has now been doubled. So we replaced it um, a year or so ago as well. Um, and partly for staff to be able to have access to plugging. So we have at least, I think it's four staff at that site and that fire as well. I believe some of their charging is being used for staff commuting, which is, which is huge. That doesn't count towards our greenhouse gas number specifically, but it actually speaks very highly to the message about what we need to happen um, writ large. Yeah. I mean, I always ask the question of people at the beginning, the first EV you drove, just because I think it is a, it is a, it's, a, it's not a game changer for people, but it's, it's such an eye opener the first time you've driven one. And it must be interesting for your staff because a lot of them would never have been in an EV and this is the first time they get it and they're probably very tentative. And probably by the end of the day, they're just going home telling their husband or wife or whoever how great this is. Yeah, so, I think the new Nissan's, the styling made a huge difference. So we have an iMeve that looks like a bubble, like it just <laughs> this little round little thing and you park it next to the Nissan Leafs. And if people have choice, which they do, uh, they pick the, pick the Leafs, um, for lots of reasons. So that styling really helped and it has, it's kitted out with all of the features inside, which I think is standard. Um, so people are learning all sorts of things about what cars can do for you. Yeah. Um, and the regeneration capacity and all sorts of things. So people are, are, are enjoying them and, and the, the, the myth about, about how difficult it is or anything. They've, they've gone away. People, I don't even know that everyone realizes necessarily they're in an electric car. They just use them as they would anything else. Yeah. Um, to the point though, that the iMeve, because it does behave differently, it doesn't have nearly the same range and people who use it need to understand that you can't just use it like a regular vehicle. And if you're going any further than about a 40 kilometer round trip, you need to make some plans. Um, and, and we have to talk about that because we don't have to do that planning with the lease, but we do with the, with the Mitsubishi. So has, has there been feedback from the public? I mean, I, I'm not up to date on my council minutes, but, um, or, or, or on the road anecdotally or people are 
I haven't heard any, although people are interested in having access to more charging. So they are envious of our chargers. And if they're empty in the daytime, why aren't others allowed to use them? Interesting. Uh, and that's something we still have to figure out right now because they're fleet vehicles. They're tied directly to our system. Um, we'd have to do some some more planning to be able to open those up to others. Uh, but there are certainly more electric vehicles on the road in our neighborhood and, and around the lower mainland. So so it very much is something we're trying to make sure they existed. Um, community buildings and um, and new commercial sites, but but uh, our our twelve are getting eyed quite regularly. Michael, have you heard from staff? Um, it's similar to you. There hasn't been any really um, direct uh, comments made. There. Sometimes you, you'll bump into people, and if they know you work for the district of North Vancouver, they'll make mention that you know they've seen all the electric vehicles. And similar to yourself, how many do you have, and what at the cost, and yeah. what are you using them for, and how do people find them? So there's just that real interest in in, in, in that type of vehicle. Yeah, as I mentioned at the top, um, your, your charger you put in the public charger, twenty ten. In my mind, I mean, I live in the neighborhood, but it was probably one of the first public chargers I ever saw. And that was pretty um, forward thinking of the district. As you say now, there's two chargers. I drive by the hall at all hours and I just make a point of looking and there's always vehicles there. Always. Yep, it's very popular. I actually think it, I think there are neighborhood EV owners that don't have any home charging and I think, and we can track it and we don't actually track which vehicles, but those of us who recognize cars start to recognize the same vehicles are there quite frequently and that's that's fantastic because yeah. garage orphan is a is an actual state and and so being able to allow people to make that choice uh, yeah. is part of the reason it's there and is there i mean there's space there to put in more chargers is that always kind of i guess you get to a point where maybe it becomes an issue then you think okay now it's it's a supply and demand thing it is. And it's actually been interesting. We've actually noticed because the private sector is taking them on board, we're getting two new um, level three chargers, I guess, at um, the Petro Canada up in Lynn Valley. So the, with the private sector shifting, actually, and the hydrogen station at SO on Westview, so near the highway, we're we're seeing the private sector taking that role on. And it means for the district, we're, we're not driving too much towards adding charging. Overall, we need people out of single-use, single-occupant vehicles as much as we can as well. Um, so we are adding the occasional charger when we do new construction, but we're not we're not building a big new piece of the network because we're finding the private sector is filling that need. Right, uh, Michael, um, you know, mentioning hydrogen is that was that something you guys looked at? So we've actually met with uh, uh, Toyota who um, offer hydrogen vehicles and we're actually waiting for the confirmation that that hydrogen station is going to open and we are um, considering we may purchase two of that type of vehicle. Right. And then that gives us the thing where you haven't got all your eggs in one basket so you're not fully electric. We'll have a, a mix of alternatively fueled vehicles but that are very green and clean. So... um if that station opens, we will um, look to purchase two vehicles and uh, see how they go within the fleet. Would that be the, 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 the sedan, the Mirai? Is that what you've looked at? Uh, the Mirai is the one we've looked at. At that point in time when we looked, that was the only vehicle that was um, generally available. So um, I'm sure they'll be similar to electric vehicles. There'll be a sudden explosion if um, it's, it shows that these can work and there'll be a, a range of models offered. But it would be the Mirai would be looking to take. Yeah, and, and thinking about our earlier discussion about other vehicles in the fleet that you have that are larger, more industrial vehicles, that's that's been a uh, argument for hydrogen too, because bigger trucks can operate better off hydrogen. So that could be the future where you'd have a split of EV. I mean, hydrogen is an EV, but different fuel sources. 
I, I totally agree and that's what I think the way a lot of the more commercial style vehicles will go there'll be a hydrogen fuel cell drive and a battery there to style vehicle just for the the ability to have that uh, power and torque there to do the work that they're required to do yeah yeah it's exciting times it is it's uh over the 10 years to be to go from Priuses and uh and hard and hot wired self-made um, EVs and be able to see people get into an EV and not really realize that's what they're driving uh, is, is definitely a revolution in yeah. transportation. Okay, final question for you both. I'll start with Michael this time. So, you, Monica, you get the opportunity to think about your answer. Suppose. So I ask all, all my guests this question at the end is uh, the, the tipping point, as they say, for EVs in, in, let's say, in Canada. In your mind, not when will it be, but what will what will indicate that we've reached a tipping point? Uh, for me, I'd say a tipping point would be the capital cost of the vehicles. At the minute, they're just that that bit too expensive for most normal people, if that's the way to put it, for them just to go out and buy them without thinking. If, if you buy an electric vehicle at the minute, there's a lot of thought because of that additional capital cost and making some of the savings we can make as a fleet. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that's going to come pretty quickly because battery technology is advancing so quickly that um, you're going to get a maybe a smaller size battery, which will be uh, less uh, costly that allow them to become a run of the mill vehicle. Right. How about you, Monica? What's the tipping point in your mind? Well, like I said, part of the overall transformation we need to see from an energy standpoint is to have more shared vehicles and fewer individual vehicles on the road, or we'll just all be stuck in traffic in electric vehicles, which is less than ideal as well. Right. Um, so I think once people, once they're so run of the mill that people would use them as a car share, that they become automatic for use in, um, ride hailing and taxis the way Priuses were. Um, I'm from Winnipeg and there were Priuses that were rolling into the two million kilometer range uh, because it made so much sense for them. So I feel like when that shift happens and people just understand that this is how vehicles get around. It's not a different way. This is how they get around and it, you have to choose then to be burning something instead of just using electricity, especially when we're hydroelectric generated. Um, the, the, it, the greenhouse gas is straightforward. The um, the conversation is straightforward. The vehicles are safe and fun to drive. So um, I do think it's it's coming soon. And and like I said, I think it'll be more fleets when people see those fleets change over. They'll know that that people who own vehicles as part of their business have chosen them. Then I think that will help yeah. convince people. Good answers. Well, Monica Samudu, Michael Tolan from the District of North Vancouver. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that discussion with Monica and Michael, which really helped me come to appreciate how electric vehicles are a perfect fit for municipal fleets. Obviously, the optics of having zero-emission vehicles give the District of North Vancouver a forward-thinking and sustainable image. But speaking as a district taxpayer, it was great to hear about the cost savings associated with the EV fleet, and I'll be keeping my eyes out for a hydrogen fuel cell district vehicle in the coming months. I can't help but think that such fleets will become the norm with municipalities across the country in the coming years, as it's difficult to find a downside to the idea. That's it for this episode. Thanks to my guests Monica Samuda and Michael Toland, producer extraordinaire Dar McWana, and you for joining me on another electrifying journey down the EV highway. Be sure to check out next week's episode when we'll be talking with Kara Clareman, the founder and CEO of Plug and Drive, a Toronto-based non-profit organization with a simple mandate. 
to be Canada's champion for electric transportation. Kara is a dynamic entrepreneur with a passion for EVs and the environment and has built the organization into a leader in the electric vehicle industry. We always welcome your comments and criticisms via email at pluggedin@postmedia.com. For your daily dose of automotive news, views, and reviews, be sure to check out driving.ca. Subscribe to Plugged In wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.